Welcome to Revive Ministries Podcast. We have a very special guest today. We met at an event that she helped me with. Uh, it was a substance abuse. I believe it was in March. And more recently, um, I'd had a mental health um, summit, and she was one of the speakers. Her story really struck me, and I was thinking of her initially when I was starting to build my podcast idea as being one of the, my first guests to be on it. And welcome, Morgan, and thank you for agreeing to be a guest. Yeah, thank you so much, Robert. I'm so glad to be asked. It's always a pleasure and a wonderful gift to be able to give back. Yeah, um, you know, I think about stories and how impactful they are, even in my life as a child. You know, my, you know, not everyone has the most wonderful childhood, but I can actually say that when going to bed and hear my father tell me stories, I was just enraptured by the idea that connecting, immersing myself. Stories has been always a cornerstone of society. Everyone loves stories, but a story recovery is inspiring. And when I heard your story in May, I just thought of you being part of that and a part of this venture in podcast. And I also want to switch gears to your title. You know, you gave me an idea of a title and I love what it says. It says, love at first sip, making peace with the labels. Why is making peace with the labels so critical in your recover, recovery and why should people care? Well, you know, starting at an early age, I started receiving labels and at first I, you know, I found solution in the fact that like, hey, this is, this is why I am the way that I am. And then there was a ton of stigma around each label and um, really learning to, to make peace is, is a matter of accepting and then taking responsibility and then kind of moving past that. That's no longer my identity. You know, it's a part of me and it gives me a, um, a way to help other people navigate through their own challenges. But um, for a long time, it was it was really the stigma. You know, my labels are alcoholic, addict, bipolar, clinically depressed, um, anorexia, bulimia. Yeah, uh, the list kind of goes on and really learning to to make peace with those is, is kind of being able to walk on a recovery journey uh, with them, you know, and um, and being willing to to seek out help. Yeah. And those those labels that you said, and a lot of us have labels and may it may be on this list and maybe uh, maybe something else. But the most important thing that I'm hearing is it doesn't define who you are, Morgan. You're a Morgan. You're not these labels. These are labels are just helping you direct your recovery, know what you need. But who you are truly is Morgan, right? Yeah, I mean, I like to um, call my labels my non-professional <laughs> resume. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? Um, that that resume is pretty interesting. You know, nine attempts at suicide, yeah. ten Baker acts, which is I think that's what you call them in Florida, and then yeah. um, or fifty one fifties in California. Um, I've visited multiple detoxes and yeah. had plenty of arrests for drunk in public, and you know I've spent my fair share in residential addiction treatment. Um, those are kind of like my little vacations, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and all those things that kind of bring about a stigma, uh, that yeah. most people honestly who know me today would never guess, you know, um, 
at times I, I kind of want to pinch myself because the life I have does not add up to the person I once was. Yeah. And I think truly the best part and, and why I'm so grateful to be able to work with you today is, um, you know, I get to help others navigate through those challenges. Yeah. And um, really, truly all I have is, is my experience to yeah. share. And I'll say this, one of the things that helped me in my recovery was serving others. And you're talking about helping people, serving, because serving, I, re- I discovered not, not that long ago that serving was my healing. Serving Absolutely. others is my recovery. You understand that concept? Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway. It gets me out of myself, you know? Yeah, it does. <laughs> the, less, the less I think about me, the, the better off the world is. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Morgan. <laughs> now, without further delay, Morgan, please share with us your story of recovery. Awesome. Um, so I guess everything kind of like points back to childhood, right? Um, yeah. When you go into any therapy office or, or anything, they always start you at the beginning. So. I'll kind of tell, you know, what it was like, what happened and and what it's like now. And uh, to be honest, my childhood was not picture perfect. You know, whenever you were just talking about your dad reading these stories, um, I felt a little twinge of like envy pop up because I didn't I didn't really have that um, that structure of parents that, you know, took the time to to read stories with me. I I don't doubt that they that they loved me. Um, yeah. I, and I think that through my own recovery journey, I've learned that um, my parents did the best that they could. Yes. But uh, but I was definitely, I was raised by two very different people um, in two very opposite environments. You know, one of them was in a single wide trailer and would put trash bags over the windows because, you know, my mother had migraines and she took a bunch of pills and um, she didn't want the light to come in, you know, it was a very, uh, cigarette infested home. And mm-hmm. I remember pulling cigarette butts out of her hands, you know, as she was nodding out so mm-hmm. that she didn't burn the couch and, yeah. you know, and then, you know, go to my dad's house and it was white picket fence, white floor, white walls, everything had to be perfect. And, you know, I really just didn't feel like I, uh, I, I fit in with either environment. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I mean, I know that they did the best they could at the time and understanding the circumstances I was born into may have played, played a role in my actions that occurred later on, mm. um, but definitely did not make me an alcoholic or an addict. Um, and uh, understanding that has allowed me to really rest in a place of acceptance. Yeah. You know, I remember... Um, I remember being four years old and wrapping belts around my neck, praying that that I could just die, you know? Um, I had this internal yearning from a very early age to escape. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to participate in this thing called life <laughs> and couldn't comprehend really why I existed. Um, yeah. It was not until I started my journey into life recovery that it all started to make sense. You know, when I have the opportunity to sit directly across from another woman and share my experience, strength, and hope, my heart opens and I find peace. Yeah. You know, that That's where I go to meet God. And in service, I found the escape and the serenity that I almost died chasing in my addiction. Yeah, I just, um, I just want to pause right there. Um, one thing I always uh, begin to realize is that when we know the why in our life, why the existential question the mm-hmm. how gets easier 
And I mean, it's because I see a lot of people not even in recovery, people not even in taking medication, but they do a lot of how and they just look like they're chasing. They're never, never satisfied, never happy where they're at. You know, um, I'm really sad and I'm sorry that you felt that way as a young child. But I want to ask you, you know, uh, the one thing I realized I'm reading this book is called The Lies We Believe. And it's from a Christian counselor. And it's very interesting. He talks about how thoughts are more toxic than the things we put in our mind, uh, bodies. Because thoughts are the seeds. Like, I just remember, I did EMDR recently. And um, one of the things that I struggled with was the thoughts, the lies that I believe. One of the thoughts that I struggled with was everything, every time I, I thought my life was going to start, it gets taken away. You know what I mean? That kind of just embedded inside me. So it became, made me cynical. Whenever things, good things happen, I never, I never embraced it. It was just like, what's going to happen next? And it gave mm-hmm. me this negative view on things and never really made me go out and proceed forward. But I just want to share, I just, I just want to put that in there because thoughts are really toxic and the why is really important and i think a lot of the recovery stories i hear is they discover not the total why because the why keeps changing as we grow but the why is very important to be focused on because the how does get easier if that makes sense yes definitely and i can absolutely relate to you whenever it comes to the toxic thoughts you know that my brain was just overloaded with tons of thoughts you know um and by the time i was able to take that first drink that's why my my title is um you know love it for sip because the the first time i took a drink that was the moment that my brain finally shut up you know mm-hmm. everything was quiet i felt a buzzing bright energy flowing through my body and mm-hmm. i i knew i was in love yeah. it finally pr- it produced the effect that i needed to survive life um, alcohol became my best friend. I, I was finally whole. And I remember putting together the pieces the morning after my first drunk at 11, laughing about my insane behavior and, and truly wishing to do it all over again, just to get that little bit of peace, um, yeah. to get relief from the thoughts. All I ever wanted was to feel like I, I fit in. I, you know, belonged somewhere and Little did I know that I would relentlessly do anything I could to recreate that feeling that alcohol first gave me. I chased that for another 18 years before I finally landed in a place where I was desperate enough to to really take a look at my drinking. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of times, you know, substance abuse or any negative habit, you know, you're trying to compensate for a loss, something you've lost that you're trying to gain. And you know, you can never, you could try as hard, you know, there'll be moments that was very enjoyable. You know, I drank a lot, you know, during my my four, my years in the military and beyond, but did it really make me, in the end, it was always chasing, you know, you start drinking, your tolerance gets up, so it even gets worse because you need more and more and more to get something from that first relief, that first thing that you felt like you, gain that you've lost if that makes sense um i could un- understand that a lot of things when i see people are sad or anger angry or they're triggered that way i ask themselves what do you think you've lost 
Like, what have you lost? Because a lot of times we just negate the fact that a lot of times either our childhood, like you, you've been sharing or something, something you expected that didn't happen. And eventually that eats away at you. And then you fill it with something that like you're describing. And I don't want to keep cutting in. So please, Morgan, continue. Yeah, I think it really just comes down to connection. You yeah. know, um, I, I wanted connection so bad. And the first time I ever felt connected was with alcohol. And when it started to change and, and I started, you know, getting arrested for drunken public at early ages, and I started seeing that, like, my behavior was very absurd and insane whenever I drank. I, I wanted to blame it on the exterior things. Yeah. You know, I wanted to blame it, you know, if, if my parents weren't the way that they were, if my relationships weren't the way that they were, if I could just get away from all of this, um, then I would be okay. But it never really occurred to me until my later 20s that, hey, maybe you have a problem with drinking. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've been famous for my... Uh, geographical uh, escapes <laughs> so um, you know I was really under the delusion that if I could just get far enough away from the things and the people that hurt me I would find peace but everywhere I went I took alcohol <laughs> you know and, and what I've learned is has been quite the opposite wherever I go there I am and then you yeah, add some alcohol and um, I end up recreating the same traumatic events over and over and yeah. over again yeah Um, it's the idea like you could say i'll be happier like beautiful kind of like let's say you go through the maldives you're like i'll be i'll be happier there but you're miserable here you're taking yourself with you you're taking yourself with you you're not you're not you're the same person so you go there you you, like you said you pick up the same habits you get drunk the whole thing is about chasing you do the same thing here you know i mean yeah I remember, I mean, speaking about Maldives, I, I loved, you know, traveling to different cities and, and trying to make everything feel better. And I remember flying to Maui. It was my 27th birthday. And I had been sober for a period of time. And, and once again, I had relapsed. And um, I, I got a one-way ticket in hopes of finding myself in beautiful Maui after a four-day binge. And yeah, I, I spent I spent the first day passed out on the beach with a melted Mai Tai in, in one hand and you know, I woke up and I'll never forget it. It was the most beautiful sunset, you know, and there were there were families standing around. There was actually a couple getting married in the background. And I truly felt like the worst person on earth. Yeah. You know, all that shame and that guilt, all the baggage that I had, my childhood trauma, those shameful actions and broken relationships, all those colorful things that I had never dealt with. Um, they landed right there with me on the beach and I yeah. couldn't even enjoy, you know, the, the breathtaking view. Um, that's when, you know, I, I now know that the recovery journey is truly an inside job fixing yeah. the outside never changed anything you know I used to have this huge obsession with like material things and money yeah. and if only I had enough money then I would be able to uh, to escape that feeling yeah. Yeah. inside and I remember you know being on a cliff uh, in a $300,000 car with mm-hmm. a gun in the car and and wanting to, to take my own life I had everything material that I could possibly want. I could hop on a private plane at any time and and yeah. leave and and get away and I could spend as much money as possible and and what I always found is that I was miserable, you know? 
absolutely yeah. miserable yeah. and it, it truly is an, an inside job it is um, you know you could be around a bunch of people surrounded but be the loneliest person in the lonelier than you if you were in your house alone you know what I mean? Absolutely. You know that whole yeah. concept. Like you're saying, you know, it's internalized. I've been reading that 90% of life is how we perceive it and how we how we process it. 10% is external. With that mm -hmm. kind of model, it's just like a lot of times people have tunnel vision. Like when whether it's addiction or whatever, you just look at that that specific thing that you're trying to do or loss or feeling or emotion. But the problem is you're not reframing. Reframing is an idea that I've been, that I've been reading. It says reframing and restructuring. You could look at a person in your life and be like, that person wronged me. And you'd be mad at them. And you'd be like, you know what? They need to come and forgive me. Right? But what does that do? It doesn't help you. Because if you do, not, not like even if he did wrong, you reframe it, you get to see there's a lot more context. Like we're beginning to see with you, Morgan, there's a lot more context. But an outsider looking at you during that struggle, you during that time when you were at the beach, they wouldn't even know and they wouldn't even care. You know what I mean? They would say, that person did that to themselves. You know, and the stigma of it all. And the thing is, yeah, that's right. But the thing is, there's a lot of reasons people do what they do. That's why when I hear people's stories, whatever bad stuff, getting arrested or whatever, there's a story to that. And I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful that you're here willing to share that story with us. Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing that I've that I've learned is that it really tr it truly wasn't about like the eating disorder, the um, the alcoholism, the addiction. Um, it was it was all my thinking. Mm -hmm. You know, it all comes down to my thinking. I have a thinking problem, so I had to find a solution that could not only you know heal that spiritual malady of that need for connection. Um, but also help me navigate the thinking. Um, there were multiple bottoms, I would have to say, like I hit multiple bottoms and there were plenty of times where I, you know, said the little foxhole prayer, like, God, just get me out of this one, you know, and I'll be okay. <laughs> yeah. And, um, it wasn't until, um, May of 2016 Mm. Um, which is actually my sobriety date is May 22nd, 2016. It's the day before my 30th birthday, which definitely was not my plan. Um, but I remember, yeah. I remember that was the moment of, of complete surrender. You know, I had spent my time, um, I had been mandated to AA from the, the courts at one point and, mm. um, I'm really grateful for that experience because being able to go into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, little seeds were planted. You mm -hmm. know, I, I started realizing that like, hey, this this isn't abnormal for an alcoholic. So maybe I'm an alcoholic. And um, that really gave me hope that there might be another way out. And uh, I remember the moment of, of complete defeat. You know, I was crouched down on my knees in a fungus-filled shower in Los Angeles mm -hmm. uh, in a state-run mental institution. Mm -hmm. And um, I met God there. Yeah. You know, pe people say that, that there's a bottom to hit that causes extreme desperation, you know, yeah. that pro propels the alcoholic or addict into the willingness needed to change. And at that moment, I, I found pure exhaustion. I, for years, I had struggled to get it right, to live right, you know, mm -hmm. to 
to drink right, to act like a lady. And over yeah. and over, I failed at every single attempt. I, I was I was broken and, and I realized that there was no human power that could help me. And that's where I became truly willing to let go and, and go to any length for my sobriety. And yeah. in the beginning, it was just, it was a matter of just, don't drink, you know, yeah. don't yeah. drink. Yeah. And, and I had to lean on people around me and, and then I had to get into a process of recovery. And um, that's when I moved to Jacksonville, Florida, which is where I met you in mm-hmm. June of 2016. And mm-hmm. I went straight into a sober living home for women. Um, mm-hmm. I elected to attend outpatient treatment, which at that time I had, I was a great, uh, I was great at going to rehab. So, so honestly, <laughs> I just, I went to outpatient just for structure and to be around, um, to be around other people like me, mm-hmm. you know, and to get that therapeutic aspect um, to help me kind of navigate through the emotional regulation of, of getting to a place of emotional sobriety. Yeah. And I'm so lucky. I, I found a woman that was able to uh, mentor me through a process of recovery. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I definitely um, cannot say that the first year was awesome. It was actually incredibly difficult. Yeah. I, uh, I truly wanted to die most days and yeah um, but I but I kept staying staying honest about it you know and sharing my thoughts and feelings and I've learned that I've learned that the moment that I speak it out loud um, that's when I take the power away and especially being someone who deals with suicidal ideation I yeah. mean, even even probably I don't know two weeks ago like I was dealing with it. You know, mm-hmm. I, I get to this place of like, what's the point? You know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And um, and when I actually reach out and I talk to someone about it, um, that's when it takes away the power. And and it's almost like allowing, it gives God that little window, you know, of me having that willingness to say, hey, like I need help. And, yeah. And that's where I can find some peace and accepting, you know, accepting it. You know. Um, I always say this, you know, in my recovery, uh, in um, Revive Ministry podcast, we're not here to proselytize. Yeah, it's a ministry. But I just love what you said when you were in in L.A. And I have to interject in the thing that really held close to me. I'm a leader in my church. I was a head elder in, in um, St. Augustine. Now I'm in Palm Coast. But the point is, it's not about titles. It's more about the thing that what I really discovered in the Bible, that one verse and I'm not going to read the verse, just the end is important. It says, it's Paul, he comes to realization because he's like, he's at his weakest point. He's, a pro- he's in prison, I believe. But the point is, he says, when I am weak, then I am strong. The point is, he was at, we, he, his understanding is like, at his weakest point, he's at his strongest because he's allowing, he's willing, just you're, like you're portraying, to be open to it. You know, and that's an incredible thing. Well, you know, like I said, we're not here to proselytize, but I, I do find it incredible helpful for having meaning, you know, in life, knowing the why, having meaning and having direction, because just going by a list, like you're saying, if you just say to yourself, I'm not going to drink and you just try to white knuckle it, how successful, how miserable is that existence? If there's no meaning, no structure, no nothing, just, it's really going to be hard as you know, chances are you're gonna you're gonna fall and then you're gonna put so much shame on you and you're gonna say i didn't do it i couldn't do it and it's gonna be really hard to get through that road to recovery and i feel like 
finding a meaning, finding something, whether it's faith, whether it's something, find someone, some, find something out there that you care about, that you're passionate about, something that you could gravitate to, because that, you know, you see these stories, like people who, you know, been in the Holocaust, you know, I've been reading some of those stories, those, those people who were in the Holocaust, World War II, you know, some of those people were children, and they experienced all that, all that trauma, they're living wonderful successful lives they're happy they're able to do things that they they know most they people outside like they couldn't wrap their heads how because they were able to process and to heal trauma will never go away the things that we go through will not fully go away but the way you look at it is different yeah and i definitely couldn't do that alone yeah going, going back to that just the idea of it's a thinking it's a thinking problem and and I and I have to have someone else to kind of hold my hand and navigate me through that um, as I talked about in my labels earlier and, and honestly whenever I was at your your mental health summit um, I identified with with bipolar because I've been given that that label at an early age actually at 12 mm-hmm. and um, come to find out you know that three years into recovery that was a misdiagnosis you yeah. know and I, and I deal with with clinical depression and um and this is definitely not recommended but during my own recovery journey like I worked with the doctor and I came off of all the, the medications because I was actually experiencing um the medication was not working anymore yeah. and and I had to get to a place where I was willing to say okay this is no longer serving me and I need a professional to help me get through this yeah. and luckily I was able to work with a doctor and a therapist and come off of all of the the medications and and now I'm I'm in therapy at least once to sometimes twice a week depending <laughs> on the week you know and then I have my recovery community that I'm a part of and yeah I stay in service and I continue I cannot stress enough like the honesty piece like speaking yeah. where I'm at speaking that truth I believe wholeheartedly has saved my life. Yeah. Um, and I struggle currently sometimes with, with some serious depression. Um, yeah. and, and I'm attempting to change that through therapy and exercise and nutrition. And if that doesn't work, then I'm willing to, you know, take a look back at psych medication. And, um, but it's all a journey. It you is know, a journey. It, it, it's a journey and it's, it's trying to figure out what fits, but doing it the right way, not doing it alone. Exactly. You know, I think I think a lot of people think that they have to navigate this alone because of the shame, you know, and the stigma. And the stigma is definitely there. I feel it, it sometimes. Yeah. You know, I I feel it a lot actually when I'm <sighs> in my current role. I I help people get into treatment and um, I help them find resources. And sometimes when I'm talking to therapists or psychiatrists or doctors that they don't really understand the the journey of recovery like mm-hmm. i can see the stigma you know that yeah, they, yeah. and they they have no idea that i'm a person in recovery um, but the way that they talk about people that that deal with alcoholism and addiction and eating disorders and mental health like these are the professionals that are treating us and they have a stigma so i yeah. think that it it really is our responsibility those that have you know made it through to the other side to really bring about that awareness that recovery is possible and it it doesn't end there you know it doesn't end there we get to help others and i've finally been able to find a place of 
emotional sobriety, which has been more important than anything. Yeah. You know, because looking at like the standard of sobriety, the um, not having, you know, a drink or a drug, like being completely free of substance without any type of process of recovery or yeah. fate or community, like yeah. I'm just white knuckling it. Yeah, and I'm eventually going to pick up one of those things that I used to use to soothe. Yeah, because the thing is, life still happens. We step out the door. If we're really being honest with ourselves, there's tons of trauma around us that are possible traumas. Like for one, you could get in a car accident. Someone you love could get in a car accident. Someone could get ill in your family. These things are real things that continue to happen, whether you're doing well in your recovery or not. You know. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, I just. I actually just walked through that. My my mother was really sick and in the hospital, and I'm so grateful that I'm that I'm a sober woman today because I was able to go and I was able to show up and I was able to to give, you know, rather than take from the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Be someone that she could lean on. You know, there was yeah. a time period where my mother knew that she couldn't call me for anything because yeah. I I was incapable of, yeah. of being there for someone else. Yeah. And. Um, I just I love the idea of finding that serenity and that peace internally because then it doesn't matter what my external looks like. It truly doesn't. There can be complete chaos going on um, on the outside. And if I can find that little bit of peace on the inside um, and just connect to my breath and ground myself, I can navigate anything. And that that's really the, the freedom that I've found um, navigating through like a process of recovery that's brought me to this place of acceptance you know what's interesting is like in facebook uh i've been doing videos a topic this this month i'm doing gratitude and you know like gratitude and recovery i think it's extremely important to be thankful for the things you've got whether you're if you're faith-based or not being thankful because this one quote i want to share that really helps me it says if a fellow isn't thankful for what he's got he isn't he isn't likely to be thankful for what he's going to get you know this concept because we're ne- like you said you know you're in your story you're like i i had everything i had three hundred thousand dollar car i had all this stuff but it wasn't enough it was never enough so you ask the question money is not everything Status isn't everything. So what is? We're talking about connections here, right? And connections is primarily the thing. I, I, you know, when I tell my story, when I do talks now, sometimes I bring up the idea of like, was it going to matter at the end of the day? Like, all of us are going to get old, you know, and at the at on our de- deathbed, what will it matter if we burn all the bridges that we had? You know what I mean? You know, it's one thing to be right. But information nowadays is so ridiculous because you can get it anywhere. It's about the connections, it's about us really internalizing these things. You're talking about emotional sobriety. I love that term, emotional sobriety, because honestly, I, I could find a lot of people who not even t- sip the drink of alcohol, but they are toxic in their thoughts. And they're horrible people that I feel they're damaging, more damaging than the people I see in recovery because they're, they don't even see that they have a problem because they, you know what the opposite of gratitude is, Morgan? Entitlement. Because, yeah. because the thing about entitlement is like, I, I did my time, I'm do what I am do. And where does that arbitrary line end? 
where do you where do you get enough because you're always going to be chasing like we said if you're looking at tangible things in this world like something to make you happy it's not every single story i read from people i've met who are who are dying like literally days from their death they always say about the people they connect the memories they made with them that was the important part not about the the car they own the house they places that mean the only time the places matter is if they were with someone they really cared about everything else does not matter so um with that concept i remember this one guy was telling me uh, in this one i don't know it was a te- i don't know it was a ted talk or something this idea that a lot of people struggle with the idea they did a study on why love why caring is so important but they found that loving and having that connection with something is vital in survival which is so crazy because we kind of look in our minds like i need to be financially solid uh secure and that's important especially where we live but it's also the connections we 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 have all these platforms to connect we're using podcasts right now but at the same time we're so connected i look at i go to a restaurant you've seen this too morgan a whole family all on their phones and i'm guilty of it <laughs> they're not even talking to you they're staring at a screen you know what i mean we're so connected we have all these platforms but we don't connect face to face or personally in a way that i feel is very much healing connection is healing that's why serving others for me and morgan is our recovery it is our healing anything else you want to share about your story i didn't want to I think the biggest um barrier to my own recovery was judgment and um judgment and and resentment you know for a long you talked about being grateful and for a long time I judged people that that couldn't just stop drinking and and I judged people that um that were sober and and I judged myself and I resented the idea that that my life was going to be different than those around me and um I would sit in in meetings and I'd hear people share and and I could never understand why someone would say you know I'm a grateful alcoholic and today I can tell you I'm I'm a grateful alcoholic I'm grateful because I've been given the opportunity to to live life better than I probably ever could. Mm-hmm. You know, the tools that I've been given in my process of recovery teach me more than just not to pick up a drink. It teaches me how to accept you for who you are and to have compassion and know that I can't change anyone else. Um I'm powerless over over the situations around me and and I'm powerless over whether I pick up a drink or not but um I can find power through God mm-hmm. and um if I had not found that I I don't know where I would be so I'm I'm so grateful to be alive and well and able to be in service and to help others and you know if anyone ever has any questions and they want to reach out to me directly um you're more than welcome to i i love helping people i love helping families and um and my my sole purpose in this life is to help another person yeah um uh, whether you're an alcoholic or not you know yeah, if you're yeah. if you're dealing with with someone in your family that's you know struggling like i'm 
I'm always there because if the people in my life weren't there that held my hand and walked me through it, mm-hmm. I'd be lost right now. Yeah. You know? and, 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 and I, once again, really, really thank you for the opportunity to, to be on the podcast with Revive Ministries. And, and I thank you for all that you do. You know, it's, um, it yeah. takes a ton of courage. It yeah. takes a ton of courage to be vulnerable and expose, um, who you are and your feelings and your opinions. And, um, you know, I just, I'm really grateful for people like you because you paved the path for people like me. Um, oh. and we oh. do this thing together. So thank you yeah. again, Robert. I really appreciate oh. it. Well, yeah. I just want to know. Thank you for coming on. I want to say this, um, you know, real quickly is, you know, pain. A lot of people, like the idea of pain, people just deter from it. But this story that Morgan just, just shared with us, there's pain. But at the same time, she's saying, I'm a grateful alcoholic. You know why? Because that pain provided her the opportunity to grow. I want to share this quote with you from Nelson Mandela. It says, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. The idea is that we're going to feel feelings. It's okay to feel feelings. It's, It's okay to feel angry. The thing about it is really us choosing. That's the only thing, you know, in this world, what, whatever you may believe, it's not a faith thing. It's just something I recognize that the only control we have in our life is our choices. That's it. You know, our thoughts kind of dictate, like she said, toxic thoughts have been crippling just like me and hindered my ability to recover the earlier or more effectively. But the thing is the the only 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 control we have is our own choices so a lot of people chase around in their lives whether it's in their relationships or in jobs or whatever and they try to control the situation it's like we said like i said i've read 90 percent of it is how we internalize and process and how we see the world you know someone could see the world you know someone get engaged with someone you know they look at the world very differently from someone who's really struggling is depressed is the world finite if we look at it just in the plane is it any different no it's what's happening internally to both people you know what i mean so i'm just saying you know i really am encouraged i love the fact that people are willing to share their stories and i know morgan's thanked me but i want to thank her and people like her and i also want to say those who are listening if you know someone who may have a story that you think may be right fit go to my website it'll be in the notes and shoot me a message i would love to hear from not just people like i'm based in florida but also anywhere because the story recovery doesn't end in florida the story recovery is every community around this world everyone has a view on recovery and i want to change that view because recovery is something that needs to be embraced now, I don't care if it was done, if you've done it. People always say, oh, they've done it to themselves. Who cares at that moment? Because like I said, it's the connections that we build that makes meaning in this life. Let's not, let's not burn our bridges. You know, whether you agree or not, information is not everything. It's really about the connections and the relationships and the memories that we hold dear. 
Anyway, thank you again, Morgan. Is there any resources that you want to share with people? I could put it in no I could put it in notes if you don't know exactly like the number, but you could get to that later. Is there any like specific names of resources people who are listening right now that you would like I, to share that was helpful? That might be I helpful. believe that um, that resources are very individualized and mm-hmm. it really just depends on the person and um, I would love it if, if anyone needs anything or needs some resources in whatever community that you're in, um, you're more than welcome to reach out to me okay. uh, via my cell phone or my email, and I can definitely provide you with that okay. um, on your site. Okay. Um, Morgan, thank you again. Um, thank you for everyone who's listening. I'm going to be doing two episodes a month, and please check out the website. That will be in the notes. And um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Morgan. And um, everyone, uh, this is goodbye from Revive Ministry Podcast.